0: Uh, Tonight, how to meditate on God's word. Um, Can I just say I think that this is kind of big, just like prayer. Most Christians don't even know how to pray. Um, And when I say that, not that we're just talking about talking to God, but like that there. And we've talked about this a little, and we're I think we actually get into it a little bit more later on down the road. But like types of prayer, petitioning prayer, and you know those kinds of things. Um, what does the Bible have to say about them? Right, uh, there's some fascinating things in there, and that the more we get to know how to pray, um, I, I think the James tells us that we have not because we ask a myth sometimes, or our motives are wrong, right? And so that's a hard thing to do because sometimes we want to be like, well, I'm just praying, I'm just well, but your motives are wrong. Remember, God judges everything by the heart, not necessarily by what you're. Uh, want or need is. If God just went off wants and needs, there would be no starving children in Africa. right? Um, I had a kid, I told you the story before, I had a kid that came to me uh, when I was down at um, the job corps and, and we were talking and, and I had, was talking to him about the Lord and asked him if he was believed in God and he was not for sure. He said, I don't know if I'm really atheist. He said, I may be just more agnostic. And Anyway, we got to talking and he said, my problem is with God is that if God's in control and he, you know, does these things, why are there starving kids? Why are these kids that have these problems? You know, why is there countries that are, you know? And I said, that's a great question. And I said, have you ever read the Bible? And he said, oh, I've read a few things here and there, and you know, blah, blah, blah. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm reasoning with him. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, I said, it's interesting that that is on your heart. I said, maybe God put you on this earth to solve that problem. And he looked at me like, huh? I said, it's on your heart that these kids don't go hungry. I said, you've got intelligence and brains and all that kind of stuff. Maybe this is the, this is the purpose God put you on the earth to solve that problem, that you would co-labor with him. And he was just like, I, nobody's ever talked to me like that. Not like in a bad way, but he was like, are you serious? And so we, we got an opportunity to talk to him about his son. Um, he wanted to have children, get married, all that kind of stuff. And so we talked about, you know, hey, if you were a dad... And every time your kids, you went to pick them up from school, immediately when they got in the car, they did not say, I love you. And you punched them, you know, in the face or gave them a spank. And said, you tell them, your kid's going to learn pretty quick. He's going to come in that car and he's going to, with fear and trembling, he's going to say, I love you, Dad. I said, is that the kind of love you're looking for? Well, no. I said, then why are you looking for that kind of love from God? You're saying, well, if God's in control and he's going to do all these things, why didn't he just shake me enough? You know, it's like, because God's not that kind of God. (laughs) There may be other God's out there that do that, but elohim hashem yeshua he doesn't do that he's he's very gentle with you he's it's always an invitation it's never a, a forced um, it's never a forced kind of thing so how to meditate on god's word uh, the word meditate in your um Lesson plan here. It talks to muse over, ponder, to plan in the mind, to purpose, to intend. The Greek word implies to revolve something in the mind and is also translated to imagine. I do like the fact that they brought out that um, to think on something is to use your imagination. God gave you an imagination. And we've talked about this before. God also gave you emotions. And people will say um, they'll have an anger issue or something like that. Well, God gave me these emotions. No, 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 no. Adam gave you those emotions. (laughs) That's why the Bible says you need to be born again, and when you get born again, then those emotions should come under the subjection and the authority of Christ. It's not a sin to be angry, right? The Bible says you can be angry and sin not, right? But jealousy and stuff that you think God gave you—jealousy, no. Can you be, um, you know, all these emotions that we set ourselves um, to fail, if you will? And we know—I mean, even the world knows this that there are certain times you should not make life-changing decisions. The loss of a loved one, right? Uh, Going through an extreme illness, things like that. That's why it's important that when, you know, sometimes you see people that have to do things by themselves. It's important that you have somebody with you helping you stay sensible, if you will, when you walk through some of these things. Um, People that just rage. Like, they don't even sometimes like they don't even know who they are. Like they don't even have a recollection of the anger fit that they just had. And so that's why emotional decision-making is bad. Like I said, you know, they'll, if you go to a Dave Ramsey seminar or Merrill Lynch even, right, I mean, we'll take the Christian element out of that. They're going to tell you, don't go buy a house right after you've had major surgery or right after you've gone through a divorce or something like that. You know, you had this traumatic experience in your life, and then you're going to go make these decisions? No, 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 that's not a good time to be doing that. <laughs> so the world knows that. How much more does God know that? So we have to put all those things into subjection to His will, so it does talk about imagine. And the other thing too, and you all may have heard this is, the meditation comes back to a, ch- a cow chewing a cud um, all day long. Cow goes around and just inhales grass, if you will, right? just to get it in their stomach, and then it goes and lays down under a shade tree or whatever, and you see it go whoop. like that, and it is regurgitating. That's a polite way of saying vomiting back up that grass so it can chew it, so it can get all of the nourishment and and the minerals and stuff out of it, okay? That's why it's got all those stomachs. So it goes in its first stomach and sits there. They bring it back up. They chew on it. Then they swallow it back, and that's when it goes through the process. They get rid of what they can't use, and then their body uses uh, what it can. I'm just going to let you know right now, those of you who eat salads and all that kind of stuff, you know, because you're watching your weight, elephants. Eat grass, okay. Rhinoceroses eat grass and so, so do you see something that's kinda happening here? Okay. So I'm just saying <laughs> everything that eats grass is not always real skinny. Um it talks about two reasons that we should meditate on the word. Here's the thing too, let me just say this. Meditation um, if you talk to people, sometimes, and you hear the word meditation, like you should meditate, we get this picture of, you know, this monkey, right, or, or someone meditating, right? Um, side note, this is not my notes, side note, here's one of those rabbit trails. Um, there is nothing, last week we talked about self-centeredness, and we talked about the idea, I say last week, week before. The idea that one of the reasons Jesus could not sin wasn't necessarily just because he was God, but it was because he did nothing for himself. And every sin is based in selfishness. Okay? Self-centeredness. He was doing things for us. And that's why he, that's why we have to look at what he was teaching and saying that if you if you love yourself as your neighbor, right, if you do things, think about what it looks like for the other person. Paul, uh, this is his argument when he says, even though I can eat meat offered to idols, I don't because I don't want a brother, a lesser one to fall. What is that about? I'm thinking about them. I'm not thinking about me, right? So if we take that approach to life, we go, okay, that makes sense. God's asking me to not be self-centered. Um, when we look around and we see things that's going on, and we go, oh, that's because that person's self-centered. Who wants to hear that? Nobody, right? Are you talking, you're saying it up? Yes, because you want what you want. Uh, there again, help me out if y'all remember. Is it James that says, the reason that you have these problems, the reason that you have these arguments, is because you want what you want. And you'll fight, steal, kill, destroy to get it. You know, and It's like, well, not really. No, really. I mean, that's... That's the condition that we're in, so we have to keep those in check. In this meditation, my point is this. There's nothing that God has created that the enemy will not try to counterfeit. Everything, okay? Um, without exception, God created all of these things, and if you look behind the sin, there is an equivalent to it in the spirit realm, okay? Okay? but it's been counterfeited by the enemy. And so the reason I want you to keep that in the back of your mind is as you see things begin to unfold in our world as we're seeing them, understand that the enemy counterfeits. And the Bible tells us, gives us several warnings. Number one, that he can masquerade as an angel of light, okay? Remember he was called the morning star. I I saw an interesting teaching on this. He was called the morning star. Okay, so in, in our Hebrew understanding, remember, that words don't always mean the same in Hebrew, right? So when we see north, south, east, and west, that does not necessarily mean directional all the time, okay? Uh, When we hear front and back. Um, So Moses is on the mountain, and God comes by, and Moses says, let me see your glory. And he says, Moses, I'm going to go by, and you can see my backside, okay? Now we think, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but we think that that's like the butt of God, right? Right? And we're like, even even his backside was glowing. In the Hebrew, the back is the front and the front is the back. Your past is in front of you and your future is in the back of you. What he's saying is this from the Hebraic understanding. Your past, what you're supposed to be looking at in your past, is all the faithfulness of God. And in his steadfast faithfulness and goodness, your future is secure because you know your God's this good. What, what could possibly make me fearful about the future? Look at what he's done. The enemy comes in and counterfeits it and says, Look what God hasn't done. All of these trees, and he says, You can't have this one. Took their eyes off of all that and said, Look here. And so we look at the, the past and we go, Yeah, failure out. Oh, yeah, that was a bad decision. Oh, that was a, it's not about us, it's about him. So when God comes by Moses, And says, I'll let you see the back of me. Moses, I'm gonna let you see what your future looks like in me. That's what Moses saw. His future. And he was like, Let's sick him. Let's go do this thing. Right? And then he comes down the mountain, and his people have already made a golden calf. (laughs) How deflating people can be, right? Like you have this moment with God, and then you come back to the world and you're like, oh, this is depressing. (laughs) What are you doing? Aaron said, We didn't know if he was going to come back, man. He was gone a long time. Crazy. We're crazy. Meditating. So it doesn't necessarily mean the Eastern um, myth assist. Thank you. Part of freeing your mind, okay? Now, I do want to talk about this uh, Psalms 104. If you've got your Bibles, go to Psalms 104. Psalms 104, and we'll go to verse 34. And it says, let my meditation be sweet to him. I will rejoice in Adonai. Let my meditation be sweet to him. I will rejoice in Adonai. Here's the biggest difference. Meditation that aligns with the word of God versus meditation that is, quote, unquote, open-minded, all right? Verse 34. Verse 34, yes, ma'am, 104, 34. When we meditate, we have to be careful when we start saying things like have an open mind, okay? If we're talking about having an open mind to the Lord showing us something, giving us some kind of revelation knowledge or um, showing us something that we haven't seen before, whatever, okay? But if we're talking about open-mindedness in the sense that we just let everything come in, you're going to be in a world of trouble. You're going to be very confused. As a matter of fact, you're going to be, there's a huge movement going on. It's kind of, it's kind of lost a little bit of its, um, of its punch, thank God. Um, how many knows what the deconstruction movement is? Okay, a couple people. Um, so some of you all know, um, do you know uh, Michael Gunger? He was a worship leader. Okay. Michael Gunger went through deconstruction and has completely left the faith. Okay. Um, so there's this big, um, I don't want to be too harsh and say it's, a, it's, a, it's an apostate or anything like that. Yeah, it really is. I mean, yes, Lord, <laughs> we'll call it what it is. Um, there's this huge falling away, if you will, because people have said, you know what, I have been taught wrong and therefore I'm going to throw out everything that I know to be true, and I'm going to figure out my truth. I'm going to be open-minded. And no one, to my knowledge, and when I say no one, I'm talking about like celebrities and things like that that we know of that have gone through, quote-unquote, deconstruction, has never come out better, <laughs> okay? Now, they will use a phrase and say, well, in deconstruction, uh, the, the disciples did it. They were asking God all these questions, Joseph did it. Jacob did it. All these patriarchs, they deconstructed. They had to quit learning what they learned and relearn. No, 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 no. They were wrestling with their faith, okay? Do you know where a wrestling match takes place? In a ring. You know what that ring's for? To show people where their boundaries are. You can't just take off running, (laughs) right? You got these ropes. And there's somebody else in the ring with you. What do they call that person? Your opponent, but somebody else. A referee. He stops things when they get out of control, right, or they're not right, resets things. The Holy Spirit should be a referee in your wrestling. You have boundaries, right, that says, um, if I start getting way out over here, I've got something to go, boom, with the scriptures say, Now, you may wrestle with that, and you may even come back with a little limp, okay, if you want to wrestle with God. But what I'm saying is, is that in that whole idea, you throw everything out, and then you reimagine what you will, your own creative gospel, if you will. That's where we get these ideas of, uh, man, did my voice just change, or am I hearing that? Did it sound like I changed? Thank you, Eric. You're making me sound like a James Earl Jones or something up here. <clears throat> when we start taking and we don't meditate on the Word, and we just, just let me just say this. I'm going to say this. In deconstruction, if you're going to take it all the way, you have to completely and totally annihilate this, okay? You have to rip this thing to shreds. And even in some deconstruction, um, um Camps, if you will. This is nothing more than a history book. And even it's not good history because what happened to the Israelites was not their stories. They stole those stories from the, the people groups that they met. I mean, you you got to do some really hard mental gymnastics. <laughs> you have to completely get rid of this word, okay? Um, out of it comes some really... Um, not very good theologies, universal salvation, which means everybody gets saved in the end. Um, no hell, there is no hell. Um, they'll take fringe outlying scriptures and use them to prove their point, which that's never a good idea. even even I'm going to challenge you guys, don't ever use fringe scriptures to try to prove a point. Number one, you should never read the scriptures to prove a point, right? You read the scriptures because there's life in them, and it gives you life. God's going to give you the ability to explain those. Okay, don't get me wrong. You can study to to show yourself approved, right? Who are you studying to show yourself approved to? God. It's not man. It's God, right? And so here's the thing: when you do those things, you'll you'll get into error. Now I'm going someplace with this. Okay, in that in that doctrine of devils, um, they will take. Such scriptures out and say, well, well, Sheol really wasn't hell, and Gehenna was a place where they burned trash, and then, blah 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 blah. Look, those are those are true statements, but they're half truths. And what I mean by that is, a lot of times, how many knows that Jesus used parables? He used stories where, to where people were at, and says, here's what's going on. And they knew that there was this place down there that had this trash dump, and that's where they would burn things. And can you imagine what that probably smelled like? and probably what was there, maggots and flies and everything else, right? And so he's saying it's going to be like this place, right? Well, in talking with someone who had has this belief, um, and there's another idea, and it doesn't really come out of deconstruction. This has been around for a while, um, 1800s or so. Um, there's an idea of a nihilism. Has anybody ever heard that term, nihilism? Okay, so an nihilist believes that... Um, you will die, and you go to a form of hell, if you will, but there's, there's no fire or anything like that, and then you just cease existing. Like, you just get wiped out. You're, you're, you're not there anymore. Well, Scooter, we have a problem. Because Jesus said, read letters, that those who did not accept his message, that they would go into eternal torment. So how could you be eternally tormented if you ceased existing? We've got to meditate on the word. <laughs> Because if we don't know what's in there, and somebody says this, and we'll go, oh, we are literally watching Timothy come to life, that they will heap up for themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. I mean, let's think about this. Does that sound good? Hey, guys, listen, live your life any way you want. Just believe in Jesus, meaning that, yeah, you believe he was a historical figure. I don't know if he died or not, but I believe that. If you do that, you get to go to heaven. Um, it's part of it. I don't know if that's the totality of it. Uh, there are some people that just, they're not going to give themselves to the anything. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> there again, and we've talked about this. I don't have time to go into all of this. Uh, we've, we've touched on the whole idea of once saved, always saved, and is that true? Is it false? All that kind of stuff. Let me just tell you this. Um, terms mean something, okay, to lose something. Um, I lose my wallet. I lose my keys. I don't know what I did with them okay, to lose your salvation. I don't think anybody wakes up and goes, what did I do with my salvation, okay? Hebrews 6 gives us a litmus test of what could possibly happen to someone, and it goes into great detail. It says, first of all, you have to be born again. It doesn't say that. It's parap- I'm paraphrasing, but it says you have to be enlightened. In other words, you have to have known what you're doing, and it gives, you got a taste of his goodness. You go through all this stuff, and it says from there that if those people choose to walk away, they are irredeemable because it says Jesus would have to go back to the cross and get on it, and that's not going to happen, okay? So did you lose your salvation? No. The best way, terminology, I would say was that you could forfeit it. To me, that's what the deconstructionists have done. They have forfeited uh, those things. The, 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 those, um, um, <laughs> it was you, wasn't it? <laughs> i just kidding. You de, In deconstruction, you do that. You go, you know what? I don't want this anymore. And that's a really dangerous place, really dangerous. Um, if you have friends or family that's deconstructing, I would say pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. Um, let me say this. I believe that that's one of the reasons that God wants to pour out his spirit like never before because the Western church has done such an awful job of representing Christ. You know, no wonder people are like, I don't want that. I mean, statistically, when you look at the church compared to the world, there is not a whole lot of statistical difference in the problems that they deal with, the addictions that they deal with, all that stuff, right? That's got to change, right? We have to have God's presence we have to have the Holy Spirit breaking in setting people free we have to be the ones that are fasting and praying and praying for people to get their deliverance if you will to get being set free so that they go out and tell others and others go whoa what happened to you right um, I was just talking to somebody I, I think it was today maybe it was yesterday but we want to live so close to the world we want to we want to have the same clothes we want to have the same music we want to have the same I mean everything. And Jesus said, "Come out from among them. You don't look like them anymore." Yeah, I mean, we dress up. Don't get me wrong. We we put duds on or whatever. I'm just saying, um, ladies, even guys. You know, I, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine, and he was talking about seeing this girl, and, and um, he it, it, there was a gentleman that said something. And he said, "Yeah, well, you know, she's dressing like a hoochie mama." <laughs> you know, I was like. Okay, I may not use that terminology, but I get what you're trying to say, right? I mean, and here's the thing. We're not teaching our young ladies. We're not teaching our, our sons and our daughters what a Christian home looks like, right? No, we don't. You know, I, I made my daughter cry several times. And I say several times, a couple of times. She was pretty modest, but um, she would come out, and she would have, you know, a top on or whatever, and I'd be like, where are you going? I'm just going to, no, not in that you're not. Oh, Dad! I'm like, look, you got to understand, my job is to protect you, and I'm a guy, and I know how guys think because I is one, right? And so you're not, and one day, the Lord just kind of set up a beautiful scenario. She had this shirt on that I didn't approve of, kind of like one of those around the house kind of shirts, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't bad, but it was just questionable, and I said, you know, hey, are you going anywhere today? She said, well, maybe later. I said, well, you need to change your shirts. She was like, God, this is Okay. And I'm like, no, it's not. And so she goes, look, when I bend over, I always do like this. And I'm like, okay. Well, an hour or so later, she's cleaning the house or something, and she bends over in the living room. I said, stop. And she was like, what? I said, no, 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 go back. And she was like, what? I said, where's your hand? Well, I normally, I said, mm-hmm, yeah. And it wasn't because she was a bad person. It was just like, look, she, for, she was in her house. She's comfortable, right? And so it's like, I can't let that translate outside. Well you're just a prude. Well then call me a prude, okay? Because it's not acceptable. Guys, when you be doing the same thing. I took a I took a, a youth group to Frontier City in Oklahoma City and I was embarrassed cuz there were older women and this shouldn't have been younger women, okay? But there was older women there and I'm like, "Oh my gosh. What are you doing?" Funny story. I mean, it wasn't at the time it happened but we got to the top of, you know, the big, huge water slide, like that. And um, we got up there, and this one kid would not go down. He just freaked out, like, no, I can't do it, I can't do it. So anyway, at the end of the day, we decided, he's like, they they've been talking to him, you can do this, Josh. Okay, okay. And so I said, I'll go with you. So we climb all the way up to the top of this tower, 17 stories tall. Right? I don't know if it's really that tall, but we climb all the way to the top of this thing. And he gets over, and he's like, oh. So the little slide attendant guy, he's like, are you nervous? He's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, so this whole buildup, right? Well, here come these two ladies, uh, a daughter and a mother. And the daughter's like 25, 26. So mom's 45, 46, let's say. <clears throat> and both of them should have had more clothes on than they had, okay? They were in bikinis. And there was not. Uh, if they paid more than $3 for the material they had on, they paid $2 too much, okay? And so I'm like, hey, ladies, why don't you all go ahead of us because he's trying to decide whether or not he wants to go. How many's ever been on one of those slides? You know that, like, when you get to the bottom, you get a wedgie, right? <laughs> no, no questions asked, right? So the mom goes first. She goes down. Sure enough, she gets a wedgie. And I mean, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And all the kids are down here, like, where everybody goes, because they're like, come on, Josh, right? The daughter goes down. She doesn't even get a foot off and her top comes completely off. And I'm yelling, don't look. And they're like, we're not. (laughs) I'm like, please don't go home and tell your mom and dad, Mom, you're never going to believe what happened, right? I mean, you can't control some things. You know what I'm saying? But back to the meditation on on the word. If we're meditating on the word, if if we're musing on this word, then we begin to understand that God has a certain standard that he wants us to have. And it's not because he wants to rain on our parade. It's because he wants to keep us safe, right? I mean, if we start telling our children about a healthy sexual um, understanding, I told my daughter, she's like, I don't like my body, right? And I'm like, honey, your body isn't meant for you anyway. The scripture says it's meant for your husband. And his body is meant for you. What if we started talking to our daughters and our sons like that? Like, you know what? You may not. Like that, right? And yes, some of us add a few pounds here and there, you know. When we were Twitter-pated, we looked a little different, right? And then, you know, things started happening, gravity started taking control, and you know. But if we started telling our kids about these things, but we don't know what the scripture says about it, so we don't tell our kids about it. And then we let the school tell them, or their friends tell them, or a book tell them, or a movie tell them, right? I mean, we set our kids down. I said, listen, I want you to understand something. God designed something special between a man and a woman. It's called sex. And it's inside the bounds of marriage. Because outside of the bounds of marriage, it comes with things not, God never designed. Guilt, shame, condemnation. So Christy works with um, uh, pregnant ladies uh, in, in crisis, if you will, right? Showing them pictures of their baby. Talking to them about not having an abortion. And that kind of thing, Okay? And sometimes when you're talking to them, and, and Christy and I have talked about this, that their, their initial reaction is, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a crisis and I need to get rid of this, right? But then nobody set them down and said, listen, if you choose to go this route, here's what you can expect. Absolute guilt, absolute shame, absolute feeling like you are the bottom-dwelling scum. You know what I'm saying? Those are things that are attached to that, but nobody tells them that because it's about money. It's about getting something done. Let me tell you this. I believe that, that abortion started with the, with money, okay? But it's nothing more than Moloch. It's nothing more than Baal worship. It's, it's human sacrifice. That's all it is. It is absolutely, purely demonic. It is straight out of the pit of hell. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, no. I mean, this is what I'm telling you. Be prepared. You are seeing the return of bell worship in your face. Some of you older people. I didn't say old. Older. Older than me. When we watched I Love Lucy, they couldn't say pregnant. They couldn't sleep in the same bed. Okay? And you go, what prudes. Okay, at least I can appreciate the fact (laughs) If they were letting somebody else make that decision, excuse me, now, I mean, yeah, if we're not telling our kids about the healthy attitude, if we're not meditating on the Word and we're not getting into this and we're going, hey, I, I don't mean to brag on my daughter, but did anybody see my daughter's Facebook post about kids, bringing kids into the conversation? It's good stuff. Bring your kids into the conversation. Because I promise you this, if you'll have hard conversations with them when they're four, five, six, seven, you won't have to have the really hard ones when they're 14, 15, 16, 17. There'll still be hard things to talk about, but I'm just saying, it will become easier, right? So we set our kids down and said, listen, you're made up of three parts. You're a spirit, soul, and a body, okay? You have a spirit, um, you live in a body, you've got a soul. God designed you that way. When if I could break those three parts down into equal parts, you would be 33.3% of all of them equally, okay? If you choose to have sex outside of the bounds of marriage, you may be physically satisfied, and you might be emotionally satisfied, but you will never be spiritually satisfied because God can't put his blessing on that, okay? So at best, you're going to get 66.6%. I heard that number before. Satisfaction. Not to mention that what we know now, what happens to your DNA, what happens to their DNA, that that stuff is coursing through your body. Listen, here's the beautiful part about this. You go, oh, my gosh, what about when I was younger? Or what about when I, and I had these partners? And what, are you? T-? Listen, God's a restorer. He restores things. He redeems things. When you got saved, all things became new. All things. All things became new. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Wait a minute. I was that, but now I'm this. God made me a new creature. All this stuff passed away. I'm made new. I'm whole. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see what I'm saying? But we have to get to a place where we begin to meditate on these things so God can get these things in us. We learn in a couple of ways. We learn through repetition and we learn through shocking event. I suggest you don't always learn through shocking event, okay? I was that kid. My dad would say, Monty, blah, 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 blah. That's what I heard, Monty, okay? And then I went out and learned it the hard way, the shocking event way. And then that's when you come in going, oh, or or whatever, you know? And so I'm, I'm suggesting don't do it that way, okay? Learn it through the repetition, Um, I like what they talk about in here uh, as far as, like, topical Bible studies versus uh, expositional studies versus word studies. I love that, okay, because we're not all the same. Some of us love topical. Uh, Ladies, I'm going to say that probably most of you are going to be one of two things. You're going to be a topical person or you're going to be a word person, okay? Guys are going to be probably uh, topical uh, or uh, um, expositional. Um, some of us are word studies. Sometimes expositional and word kind of overlap. Um, but however you learn the word, do it, okay? Uh, we talked about at the very beginning in here, Bible Hub has a great resource on the computer. Um, all of the tra- well, most all of the translations are on there. I did not realize, but the Geneva Bible's on there too. You know, I was pretty excited about that. Uh, the Geneva Bible's on there. Um, but if you do topical studies, um, Hear me out. I don't mind devotionals, okay? I like devotionals in the sense, especially for some, because it helps keep you in an in a ordered system, if you will. Um, but I'm just saying, don't do a devotional because you need to check a box off. You'll get nothing out of that. You might as well not even do Bible study at all. Just go do your thing, okay? Because it will become, it will become a false thing to you, so to speak. You'll think you have knowledge and you have head knowledge, but you don't have any heart knowledge. Um, does anybody have any th- questions on topical uh, word studies, questions, comments, concerns, anything like that? Let me just say this too there is a plethora of information out there. You can get on a lot of sites, and you can get on sites that will do you more damage than good. Okay? Anytime I'm looking at a new author, a new study, whatever, I'm going to find out what does that author, what is their bias, where are they coming from? Okay, you've heard me talk about, and we've talked about in here too, the Calvinist idea, the Arminianist idea, and the Open Theism idea. Okay, I do not conform to all of the Calvinist ideas. I think John Calvin did a good job in some things, not all things. Uh, same thing with Arminian, um, um, Joseph, Arminian. I don't subscribe to all of that. We have to be careful that we're not subscribing to a man and not subscribing to God, what he said. If it challenges your theology, go deeper with it. What What is, what is talking about? That's why I'm saying there's fringe things out there, okay? Um, I was listening to a guy the other day, and he was talking about Holy Spirit. And he says, his belief is, is that when you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit. There's not a second event Holy Spirit. As I listen to him, because I teach that it is a second event. If you look at the scriptures when Paul's in Ephesus and he's talking to the people, and they're like, hey, have you been baptized? And they go, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, right? So he goes into um, a little idea and says, no, they were actually uh, John's disciples. They weren't Jesus' disciples. They weren't even really saved. They actually got saved. I don't see that in Scripture, okay? This is not a point that I would want to argue with that man and cost a friendship over, okay? I can see where he's going, and I would even be willing. He did not finish his um, Jesus out. I'll, I'll just say it that way. He didn't finish it because... If you look at the scriptures and it says, it's talking about these men, when they did receive this, what did they do? They spoke in other tongues. So if you're going to tell me that you believe the Holy Spirit is a one-time, when you got saved, bam, you got it all, fine, keep reading the verse. But we have people say, no, I don't believe that, and I don't think tongues is for today. It's like, well, where did you come up with that? Most people Most people just don't know. I'm just saying that they're ignorant, okay? There's a difference between being ignorant and stupid, okay? Um, y'all heard me talk about my granddaughter at the house, and I said stupid, and she got on to me, and dad, Papa said stupid, so I took her to the stove and said, if you put your hand on this hot stove and you don't know any better, that's ignorance. If you do it again, that's stupid. Yes, we will use the word stupid. Papa apologizes for using the wrong word, okay? But you can be stupid, okay? But if you're ignorant, you just don't know any better. I'm ignorant when it comes to brain surgery, okay? You don't want me doing brain surgery on you. Um, when we look at these doctrinal issues, when we meditate on the Word, we may see some things that challenge us. That's what the Word's supposed to do. This is how I've been believing. Is this really the right way? right? And we don't go to the one Scripture out there that supports our idea. That's what I'm talking about when you read Scripture to prove your point or to prove somebody else wrong. right? We've got way too much of that. If there's one thing that, that just makes me go, Ugh, it's watching people. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's watching people, and there's, there's a bunch of them out there, that want to point out all the flaws of the other preachers. Dude, if you spend as much time just preaching the gospel that you say you believe in, we'd be a much better place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, and some of these things don't even amount to a hill of beans. Now, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't have a problem with people calling out people that are saying wrong things, okay? And when I say wrong things, like we know that, you know, you can't get to heaven wearing pink panties or whatever, okay? I mean, that's, that's a wrong idea. But I'm saying people that are like, well, they say this and they say that. Let me ask you a question. I mean, we, we only have to use a little logic, okay? And I'm, and I'm not saying that to be mean towards people that have a different idea, okay? But everybody, does everybody understand cessationist people that believe the gifts of the Spirit stopped when the apostles Died, okay. If that be the case, I don't. I'm not mad at you because you believe that. Okay. What I'm asking is to consider this. If we think, or if we understand that this scripture is living, breathing, and that it's good for edification, for correction, like Timothy says, if we believe that this is the basic instructions before leaving Earth, Bible. Y'all didn't know that those stood for. That's Hebrew. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I just say that, you know, like, oh, really? No. But this, is a, this is, gives us instructions, right? Why would Paul say, when you practice these gifts, do it in this way? Why don't we have another epistle somewhere down the line that says, oh, and by the way, when all of us die, you won't have any need of this. Does that not sound illogical, just on its face? When Jesus said, hey, disciples, come here. Now, listen, I want you to go make other disciples, and I want you to teach them what I have taught you to do. Except those gift things, okay, because those are fixing to die out. I mean, we're so radicalized by what our denomination tells us to believe. I believe, Monty's opinion, that as we get closer and closer to time converging, the denominational labels go by the wayside. Because we're gonna have to reconcile our differences and we're gonna have to come together as brothers and sisters. Have to. It's a family. Families have issues and have problems, right? I mean, if you're gonna tell me, well, I have never spoken an evil word, I bet you've taught one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I mean, that's, that's just what families do. It's not that they're bad families. Huh? Sometimes you have to work things out. I had a guy tell me one time, if you don't agree with your wife 100% of the time, you're not, you're not together with her. Because the Bible says, how can the two walk together unless they agree? We do agree. I say, this is what we're going to do. and My wife says, yes, sir. She ain't here to defend herself. (laughs) Scratch that off the podcast, please. There are times that we have disagreements and we have arguments, and then guess what? We come together and we go, you're right, I'm wrong, or you're right, I'm wrong, whatever, and we we make those bends. We go, wow. Sometimes we don't say, you're right. She just has that look, and I've learned, I, I accept that as you're wrong. Right. She doesn't have to tell me anymore. I just know that when she goes, I go, okay, I got it, you know. I have to say I'm wrong, but, oh, my. Can I say? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Moving around along. Moving around along. I love women, wives, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Now you're just being old, old, fuddy duddy Miss Jean. You're just being an old fuddy-duddy. You're an (laughs) old-timer. It's an old book. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And here's the thing. There again, we're meditating on it, right? Now, we all, and especially you ladies, have heard the preachers that says, wives, you better submit to your husbands. When they tell you to jump, you say, ha-ha, blah, blah, blah. Well, they've misunderstood the, the Scriptures, okay? Yes, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. Are we teaching our young ladies that? Are we teaching our daughters that what that looks like? Whether in word or in deed, and I'm not, I'm fixing to jump on the men, so give me a little leeway here, ladies, okay? But it says that they're supposed to submit to their husbands. It also says, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. He gave his life for it. Now, let's take what Miss Jean just said, and I want to add something to it, so you've, you've heard me talking about. If it comes out of if it, if it doesn't sound good in Jesus' mouth, it probably shouldn't be in ours. We talked about Jesus walking. He's got the cross, and he's, he's just, he falls down because of the weight of the cross, and he's just, ah. Oh. and these people are spitting on him, and they're yelling, they're jeering, and he gets up, and he chunks this bar off his back, and he says, God, I ain't doing this. These no-good, sorry, no-good people, they don't care. Listen to them. I mean, if, if that was recorded, we'd be like, What? It doesn't sound good in his mouth. Why would it sound good in our mouth? Now, Miss Jean made an interesting point, and I know where she's going with this, but I'm going to use it as an example. I submit to you, but I don't agree. Would we use that same language with Jesus? Lord, I know what it says right here, but I just don't agree with that. But you know what? I'm just going to go away with you, what you think. What's our attitude, right? And I'm not saying Miss Jean's bad. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is yes. Yeah, I know. I said I was using you, Miss Jean. Yeah. Y'all should have been here at the first of these things because y'all found a lot out about Miss Jean. Is that not right? People have been here in the beginning. <laughs> oh, we love you. <laughs> That's right. You you forgot that past. Yeah. Amen. But here's the thing: as we meditate on the Word, we see these scriptures and we go, "Oh man, what does that mean?" Now I have to keep an open mind to what Christ wants to do, okay? Not an open mind to just anything that comes along. Now I'm going, how does this look, right? Now, husbands, you don't have the right to beat your wives, and I'm not talking about physically. You don't have the right to set to beat your wife into submission. Well, you know, Harold, I just don't know. Hey, woman, you better. You see what I'm saying? It's not that way either. Jesus doesn't do that to you, right? Right? He may correct you. There are times that me and my wife have had to correct one another, but we don't do that in the public eye. It's usually in the car on the way home. But it's like, hey, listen, you said, and maybe that wasn't the right attitude. Now, guess what? Early in our marriage, it would puff the other one up. (laughs) look like an old toad, right? But then you go, you know what? She's really right. Let all that air out. And you go, okay. But as we meditate on the word, we see the things that's coming on, and we go, okay, this really challenges me. How do I do this? I mean, think about the scripture that says if you live in a house and your husband's not saved, wives, by your gentle nature, you'll win them over. Does that mean you become a doormat? No. But you go, you know, when they say, hey, I would like, yeah, okay, I can do that, right? I mean, look at Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, if you read any of his stuff, he was tall, he was big, he was burly, he was a plumber, and he cussed like a sailor. And he didn't mind letting you know how he felt. And then there's his wife, right? And she was gentle and meek and lowly. We're going to talk about meekness here before too long. It's not what you think it is. She was meek. She took a, a, the humble attitude, and she won him over. And we have these amazing records of his life, and what God did with it. When he locked her, when it was cold or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There, there are so many stories about like it wasn't perfect, right? I forget she, she told him. And I know that's all of you ladies. I know that's all you ladies. Careful, you're going to bust a gun over there is what I can see. It like, come on, girl. <laughs> I dare y'all men to lock one of your wives. Out. I want to hear that story is what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah, Here I am. Yeah, I still love you. yeah. And these are hard things. They're not easy. Remember what I said? Jesus never promised you an easy life. He promised you a new life. But let's think about this. In the eternal reward division, where will she rank? Right up there with Smith, man. Why? Because her faith won this man over. She was able to show him the love of Christ. And because of that, he was able to pump babies off of the stage, and they'd come back to life. I'm not suggesting this as a theology that you should probably study out, but do y'all know about when his wife died? So Smith's wife died kind of unexpectedly. Um, So he goes back into the room where she's at, lays hands on her, raises her back from the dead. She gets really livid. She does not say, what do you want for breakfast? She says, what have you done, Smith? I was in the presence of God. What have you done to me? Yada, yada, yada. He says, stop. I've got to talk to you. They worked some things out. He laid his hands back on her and said, back into the hands of God, I commend your soul. Bam, she died again. Well, I just think that sometimes God, listen, Smith Wigglesworth understood something. I'll tell you this, too. You want to talk about meditating on the word? This will fit perfectly, Lester Sommerall. You can go to YouTube and find Lester Sommerall meet Smith Wigglesworth, and he gives his testimony of showing up to Smith Wigglesworth house. <coughs> that turned off quick enough. He goes to Smith Wigglesworth house, and this is in UK. This is in London, in in uh, England. And he said, "I look like a, a complete Englander. I've got my trench coat on. I've got my umbrella. I've got my Bible, and I've got the paper." the morning paper, right here, right? and a knock on the door. Smith comes to the door and says, what's that? And he says, um, it's the newspaper. And he says, that doesn't come in my house. Smith Wigglesworth did not allow any publications other than the Bible to come into his house. Now, you can say he didn't have TV back then, but he, he let no, no news, nothing like that come in his house, Period. You want to have power? You might be saying, the things I'm reading on Google may not be the best. Forget me there, right? The first two or three times that Lester went to his house, Smith never spoke to him other than, Can we finish reading? Can't let's pray. And then after that, he kind of opened up, and he began to talk to Lester Summerall about some of these things, and Lester was able to glean. My point being, the guy asked him one time, "Um, do you read the Bible for long periods? He said, I never read the Bible more than 30 minutes. He said, but I never go 30 minutes without reading. They said, what about praying? He said, same, I never pray more than 30 minutes, but I never go 30 minutes without praying. You want to have a prayer meeting? Albert Hibbert wrote a book about Smith Wigglesworth, and in one of them, they had a meeting And Smith came to preach at it. And he said, only if the pastors will meet with me and we pray before the services. It was like a revival service. They said, okay. They got in the room and they began to pray. Within about 10 minutes, Albert said, the Shekinah glory of God began to fill that room. Physical smoke began to come into that room. One by one, those pastors began to leave that room. And he said, I was determined I'm going to stay here. He said, it got so bad, like so good, but so bad that he went under the table and grabbed the table leg and held on to it. And he said, I heard an audible voice say, if you do not leave, you'll die. And Smith stayed there for another hour. It's about relationship. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, I'd probably be one of those guys leaving, you know what I mean? I don't want to be. So I have to challenge myself. Man, hey, self, because that's what I call myself. (laughs) People call me other things, too. Are you willing to pay a price for that kind of anointing? We want microwave Christianity. Put it in, 30 seconds, ding, full meal. And then we get complained if the middle's cold. So I like that. Made me lose my place. Not that. Um, interesting. Um, can I just say this too? When you read the scriptures, read out of multiple translations. I've told you my thoughts on the NIV. I'm not big on the NIV, the Nearly Inspired Version. Okay. Um, I'm not big on it, but we're 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 talking. If that's the only Bible you got, read it. Okay. But what I'm saying is with the advent of um, the Internet and all that kind of stuff, you have every translation made available to you. I have a I have one in my library that's 26 translations of the Bible. Some translations I ain't even heard of, right? Um, but that was all before Internet. I mean, when I used to study, it was a uh, – I used to hate it when it was time to eat because I had to get all 37 books that I had on the table off, right, and my two notepads and pens and, you know. And I am the world's worst. I got seven notebooks, and none of them are a continuation. It's like the red one had the first three pages, and the yellow one's got the last four. Pa- I mean, it's, it's scattered, right? But I'm organized. I know where it's at, and my wife does not like that, okay? She wants everything in a file folder, you know. I'm, I'm not that guy. On my desk is a pile of papers, and I can tell you. Go about a third way down, there's a pink piece of paper that's attached to one. If you look that three pages past that, that's where you're going to find it, and she just makes her mad, I know where it is. Leave my filing system alone. I know exactly where I didn't put it. Might be the reason I have five or six of some tools too, but anyway. Um, It talks in here too, but when meditating, the last, on page 105, the very bottom, it says, when meditating through the scriptures, uh, look for punctuation such as question marks and all this kind of stuff. Let me just say this. What you read, King James, New King James NLT, NIV, ESV, KGV, whatever. Whatever you read is a translation. Say it with me translation. <laughs> it's not the original text, it's a translation. It is somebody's attempt to explain to you what the original text said, okay? Let me assure you, Hebrew and Greek, uh, this, the, uh, um, what's it called? Scoptic Greek, Coptic Greek, whatever. And the Hebrew did not use punctuation, okay? There's only a couple of times in the Hebrew where there was actual punctuation used, okay? Which is why I say in the Scriptures when it says, and and, um, I'll, I'll explain this. The Bible tells us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, God will raise up a standard. I believe the translators missed it, okay? When the enemy comes in, comma, God will raise up a standard. Like a flood, God will raise up a standard, Okay? I believe that that's what we're seeing and experiencing right now. Know this, as you see the days grow darker and darker, and what I mean by that is more evil is revealed, God is going to not only put out His Spirit to match that, but to super exceed that, okay? Everywhere in history, go look in the Scriptures even, every time evil reared its head, God always matched it plus, exceedingly abundantly more than what we could ask or think. Okay, We see it in Daniel in the Lion's Den. We see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why didn't he just rescue them? Because he said, I'm going to show up and show out. And the whole nation turned. The whole nation turned because three kids were not willing or were willing to die. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word, they didn't even have the blood of the Lamb at that time, right? By the blood of the Lamb, word of testimony, and not loving your life even unto death. And they come out of that fire. Hey, didn't we put three in there? Yes, sir. Why is there four? Here's what I never understood. And the fourth looks like the son of God. How'd you know? How do you know what he looks like? Let me ask you this too. You know, blow your brains for a minute here. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, King Nebi Nebi, he gets mad and he says, Stoke that fire up, boys. And they do. And the guards take, Neb, take them down there to throw them in the fire. And they open the door and whoosh, they get evaporated. Who put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire? Did they go in themselves or did God go, hmm, I got you, boys? <laughs> yeah. Did he put them in there? Because he, did he go in there with them? What, did, did, we don't know. Did he show up and say, hey, guys, follow me? That would be just like Jesus, right? But it's the fire. I said, follow me. Right? To Peter. If it's you, Lord, baby, to come. Come on. C-O-M-E. Right? <laughs> they, they came on his word. I mean, it, you meditate on the word, you start thinking about these things like, well, wait a minute, how'd they get in there? Because it burned the guards up. Seven times. Yeah. Yeah. Disgusting story, but to make Glenn's point here, my son worked in a place where they dealt with really extreme fires. And not here, but in another place, there was a man who was um, not in his right mind and was going to commit suicide. So he ran across the hill and jumped into a vat of this hot molten lava. What he didn't know is that he was denser than the metal, so he just sat on the top of this fire and burned up. You don't think the devil don't like you? I mean, it's, it's terrible, right? And we, we, we think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's like, think about Hiroshima, right? Nagasaki, they dropped these little boy, big boy. And it vaporized people into the concrete, man. I mean, like, flashed them into it. And the Bible tells us that God's going to destroy the earth with fire. Nothing's going to be left. Everything's going to burn up. Rocks are going to burn up, like Jesus is talking about. right? All these statues and stuff, it's going to burn up. Right? I don't want to be here. <laughs> I won't be here. I want to be somewhere else. Maybe we might get into some of that later on. Not tonight, but. Um, Biblical meditation, last sentence, is not just looking at words, but for uh, God behind the word. And I, and I wrote on this, original content, okay? It's very important that we understand what was the writer trying to say, all right? Remember, you're reading a translation, so there must be a meaning behind these words, right? And we talked about throw the baby out with the bathwater. That would make no sense to a Hebrew of the day, but that makes sense to us, right? Every... Um, every generation has their own lingo, their own idioms that they use. And we go, what did you say? I don't know if I should punch you or kiss you. I mean, what did you just call me? And so in that, the Bible is the same way. Um, That's why when we talked about like the Nephilim, and we see in Genesis account, and it says in those days there was Nephilim, there were giants that lived, da-da-da-da, and that's all we see. Why? Because the writer knew that the people that was reading this, they knew about the Nephilim. He didn't have to explain that. Jesus talking about um, uh, some of the things that he was talking about, he knew his listeners. That's why he didn't have to stop and explain some of these things. Um, Did I tell you all about the whole um, wedding, the Canaan miracle? So in one of our Hebrew studies we're talking about, um, I'm pretty sure all, if not all, 99% of the miracles of God were not necessarily for the glory of God, but for the righteous judgment of Jesus. And he goes on to explain, were they to the glory of God? Yes. But they weren't necessarily to demonstrate that. Case in point, meditate on the word, content. When we read from a Western understanding, we miss out on some things. So we see this miracle, beautiful miracle, Jesus goes to this wedding, they run out of wine, Mary says, do what he says. He says, go get these jars, fill them up, take them to the master ceremonies, dip out a ladle. He drinks and he says, oh, my goodness, you saved the best wine after everybody's already drunk. That's what he said. But when the Hebrew reads that, it says that there were stone pots. They knew that whoever was getting married was very important, probably a Pharisee. Not that the Pharisees get, but like a daughter as son of the Pharisee. Because there were stone pots at his house and they had the measurements. Anytime the Bible gives you details, like the measurements, the amounts or whatever, check those things out because there's probably something there that we're not getting. Okay? What those were, were ritual purification stone jars. They were for the purification. When you came and you washed your hands and they washed your feet, they ritually did that. Okay? Those jars could not have wine put in them. If they did have wine put in them, they would have to themselves be ritually purified, which means you would fill them with water to the brim, and then you would baptize them. You would take them to the mikveh, You would dunk them and lower them down, and when the mikveh waters touched the water that was inside the jug, they would pull it out. It was considered to be clean at that point. I mean, that's how powerful baptism ought to start stirring you. Whatever's inside of you, as soon as that baptism water touches, you're purified. They would pull them out. Jesus, without getting into too much deep theology and all that kind of stuff, understand that there are other historical writings out there that give us some insight. Even the Talmud, which is the Jewish um, study book, if you will, has some descriptive terms. So in that, when they when they change this water to the wine, Jesus is basically saying, hey, servants, you guys that's doing this, y'all see what's happening, and you know the traditions. We're going to be okay if you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but if you go up there and tell them, hey, these are stone jars, I don't know, we're going to have some problems. He was saying, it's not my time. When he said, woman, when she come to him, and by the way, I I, I joke all the time, you know, woman, his words were, my lady, who's actually very respectful, okay? But he says, my lady, it's not my time yet. And we in the Western culture say to be revealed as the Messiah. No, to reveal my righteous judgment. Jesus ain't as nice as you think he is in the sense of like, oh, he just looks over things. No, he's, he's coming back, and he's going to judge things. That's why it's called the great and terrible day. I mean, I'm telling you. I, I wonder, Monty's opinion. I wonder if we see all these pictures. Have you do y'all know who Akiana is? Little girl that went to heaven, paint all these pictures. I mean, she paints some amazing. Go to the internet and look up Akiana. Okay, uh, from an atheistic family, she starts going to heaven. Her and her little brother, and they start seeing things in heaven. And she comes back and she's drawing. The, the brother was really little, and she's talking to her mom like, "Mom, I don't, I don't have colors. I don't have colors in my, I mean, palette, right?" And so anyway, she paints this picture of Jesus, what she sees him, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Even I mean, you know when you look at a painting, sometimes it doesn't do justice. It's like, how do you, oh, the artist, that's his problem, right, or her problem. How do I get this on the canvas and make it come off, right? But, man, he comes off of there. But I'm wondering, like, is his eyes really going to be on fire? Like, that's not figurative language. Is he going to be, and when I say mad, not like I'm mad at you, but like I'm fixing to take hell out, like mad at hell. Uh, Not necessarily us, but, and in that, those who have said no, those who have rejected, those who have said, terrible day, terrible day. So, look at um, the intent. Um, What I have started doing is, even in the Greek, I try to go back to the Hebrew. What was the Hebrew understanding of this Greek word? Okay? Okay. And sometimes you'll find some things in there that's like, probably they're going to be real close, but sometimes the Hebrew will give you a little bit better understanding of who that is. I will tell you this. If you need to go to some sites to find those things, it's okay to go to Hebrew sites that are not messianic. Just don't read the commentary. (laughs) But if you're looking for an explanation of a word or something like that, They will have some really good explanations of, like, what this word means in the the Hebrew. Um, Just like we talked about, emet, um, a couple of weeks back, in that word truth in the Hebrew, emet, um, which is the um, uh, ayin, uh, the mem, and the tav. We see the Godhead, alev, being the first letter of the alphabet of the Greek, tav being the last. Jesus said, I am the first and the last, the alpha and the mega. I'll get them both in here. on the Hebrew and the Greek, right. And so, in the middle, we have the mem, which is the uh, illustration of the Holy Spirit, water. And so, in the word truth, in the Hebrew, we see the Godhead. God the Father, Holy Spirit, Son. What does uh, the aleph mean? Aleph is where we get father, love, those kinds of things, mem, water. And tav, we see cross, finished. We have the whole explanation right there in one word in the Hebrew. So, not only does the word mean something, That how the letters are placed means something. The numeric value means something. I mean, it's incredible um, to start thinking about how how God made this Hebrew language, which a lot of theologians, and I'm having a tendency to believe right along with them, this was the language of heaven. This is what everybody on the earth spoke until the Tower of Babel, when God confused their languages. But he kept the Hebrew. right? That was his people. Um, You know, we talked about Eastern... East, west, when we hear directions in the Bible too, north, south, east, and west, Jerusalem is always the center point, right? It's not talking about America. It's not talking about Russia. It's, it's talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center point. Um, everything east of Jerusalem reads right to left. Everything west reads left to right. Everything always reads back to Jerusalem. That's why we see in the Torah, uh, Genesis, every 49 letters spells out Torah. You go over to um, um, Numbers, Uh, Genesis, Exodus, um, and Deuteronomy Numbers, they turn around. You go backwards. It spells Torah backwards, 49 letters. You get to Leviticus, uh, and every seventh letter spells out Yahweh. The Torah points to Yahweh. I mean, how do you do this with a language? You can't. I mean, God did this, right? It's supernatural. You can't. I mean, can you imagine what a book would be like if you tried to do that? Okay, I'm going to write every word, you know, And um, the brown monkey. I mean, it would it would be crazy, right? But it works. It works. It works there. Um, Guys, got any? Yes. Weiss W E I S S. I don't know him. There's a, a Weiss. Yeah. Kind of like an amplified, yeah. I'll tell you somebody else who is really good at that, too, is Rick Renner. Uh, Rick Renner has a really good grasp of the Greek, and he can explain that. Because Sometimes when you go to Bible Hub and you click on a word, you're going to get five or six words. You're going to get a bunch of, like, um, uh, particles of speech. Then you got to go understand what all the particles of speech mean, indirect, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you go, oh, um, okay, I'm going to assign A 1,000 bonus points to anybody who can translate um, et in Hebrew. Et. Aleph, Tav, E-T, et. 1,000 bonus points. Okay, it's a trick question. You can't translate it. It's the only Hebrew word that we don't even know what it means. In the beginning, God created et. There is this word in there that we've lost it somewhere in translation. Who knew what it meant? I don't know. I mean, it was... We're talking ancient Hebrew, right? And so it's an indirect kind of a thing. That's what they believe, but they just they can't figure it out. So interesting. Um, last thing: be careful doing opposition research. Okay? Yes, sir. Uh, not avoid. No, like when you see when you see people that are not Messianic Jews. A lot of their thinking will go back to we're waiting on the Messiah. We're, we're not there. We believe in the Messiah. That when you go to messianic sites, you may not always find a true Hebrew, i.e. a rabbi, okay, that is learned in what ancient Hebrew words mean. That's what I'm saying. Not you can't, you know, don't believe the Hebrews or don't believe the Jews, right? I'm saying... Be careful when you go there, just like any other thing. I'll, I'll just say this because we're throwing out names. Um, and understand this too. The Jews have bad people. Can I say that? What I mean by that is, let's think about this from the Bible's perspective. There was these people that saw God do amazing things, and they still were mumbling, griping, complaining, Okay. So it's not that we, it's like when people say, well, why are we behind Israel? Because they're bad. They do that. Wait a minute. There may be bad people there. There's bad people everywhere, okay? During the Holocaust, during the during the German occupation, there were a lot of Jews that were siding with Hitler. Just because you're a Jew doesn't make it. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about just because you're born into this doesn't not necessarily make you a true Jew, right? It's It's your belief system, right? So I say that to say, Let's don't look at anybody and say, well, they've got it all or this group over here doesn't or whatever. We can glean things from everybody. I do not agree with John Piper. I'll just tell you that right off the bat, okay? I do not agree with some of his stance uh, from the five-point tulip understanding. I don't hate John Piper, okay? John MacArthur's another one. You've got a lot of artists, or artists authors out there that are writing books, and that's why I'm saying go back, look at where they're coming from, because everybody has a bias, okay? It's foolish to watch these Supreme Court justices and these congressional. Well, um, the law doesn't allow me to interject my opinion. Bogus. Every decision you make, you're going to inject your opinion. That's why we want the person that has the right opinion, right? Like, you trust Jesus? Yes, we want you, right? I mean, so... I get what you're trying to say. I don't know if y'all saw um, um, Lieutenant Governor Griffin signed or passed on. Now they can, um, they're going to put it on the ballot. Uh, whether they want to enshrine in the Arkansas Constitution abortion, um, I would encourage you to go read that because. It, so, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Christie's kind of abreast on all this kind of stuff, but he rejected it because of the language. And it was confusing. Has anybody ever gone to the polls to pull the deal? And you're you're reading something, and you're like, okay, am I for this or against this, right? Like, what does this mean, right? And so that's what he was saying is that, no, this is really confusing to the people of Arkansas. you got to take it back, redo it. And uh, three times, four, twice. So the third time they brought it to him, he said, okay, I'm going to let it go through. Some of that may be political pressure, right? Him saying, I can only do this a few times. And he made a comment. He says, the law does not allow me, even though I'm pro-life, the law doesn't allow me to interject that in here. I just have to be looking at what the law says, okay? All right. I I get that to some degree. I think some of that, the times, is a changing kind of a thing. You know what I'm saying? But um, in that, as we go through that, um, I encourage you to read that bill because there's some language in there that's like, this is how they do these things. It's very vague. Um, well, we just want <clears throat> to they are, they want for it they want abortion to be allowed because the life of the mother, medical reasons, fetal heartbeat I mean they, they, they list all these things and it all sounds good. but how could that possibly be used in a negative? You've got a doctor that says, "How much are you willing to pay me? Yeah, your baby's got a problem. All right. Yeah, up to birth. So it's like, no, you're just trying to come in the back door. We already have provisions that says, you know, if a mom's in a car wreck and she goes to the hospital and there's a problem, they're going to do what they're supposed to do is try to save everybody, right? And if they can't, that's a tragedy. And we go, man, no, this is bad. But they're saying that you can just, well, on a whim, I don't like this. It's kind of like... And if you have a medical marijuana card, don't take offense. But my ears ring. Well, there you go. You need a medical marijuana card. You know, I got a hangnail on my left. Well, there you, you go. I mean, the rules, how they wrote that became so, you know, vague. Everybody's entitled to one, right? It wasn't like, hey. I mean, think about this. I read an article, just so you know, that said, now we know scientifically Prolonged use of marijuana changes your DNA. What have we been talking about? Seed war, change your DNA. I'm reading a very interesting book right now, and this guy's talking about um, your DNA. And th- the guy wrote this book back in 2014 is when it was copywritten, so it may, it may have been even before that. But he's talking about Nephilim and some different things like that and about the seed war changing your DNA and all this kind of stuff. And the whole goal, I never thought about this, but he's talking about um, your conscience is the part of the image of God that's left in you. It's not enough to save you, but it always reminds you of God, your conscience. And he talks about if you can get in there and change your DNA, then you get rid of the conscience and now you're irredeemable because you cannot respond to the gospel. And I was like... Whoa, whoa, that's crazy! But what do we what do we think of? I mean, think about what the scripture taught. Some of you older folks, when we were growing up, and we heard that you know, if you keep making these decisions, stuff there's there's a point that God will turn you over to a reprobate mind. Where is that? I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to see if I can get close to that line. You know what I'm saying? Like, what does that mean? Now we're looking and going, oh my gosh, (laughs) what's happening here? These people are. I used to never think I'd ever seen a reprobate. Then I got into politics watching about six years ago. I was like, ooh, reprobate, reprobate. (laughs) I'm just saying, there's some people out there that, I mean, how do you even have a conscience? How do you even have a conscience? I'm telling you, if you've been keeping up with this stuff, if you're looking at what they think, I'm trying to be very careful here. If what they're alleging was happening at Epstein Island and other places, how do you have a conscience? Dude, I mean, it's coming. It's coming. So here's my question. Reading all this stuff, I don't know. I'm telling you, I don't know, okay? But I'm, I have my own opinions, and I'm leaning towards. So we talked about Nimrod, that it says that he became a mighty man, Okay? And there again, in the Hebrew, if you read that out of your Bible, it says he became a mighty man. He was a great hunter before the Lord. Oh, man. yeah, I want to be a great hunter before the Lord. No, you don't. Because the Hebrew says that he hunted men, is what he was a great hunter. And before the Lord was basically in your face, God, that's what it means. And he became a Nephilim. Hmm. You mean you don't necessarily have to be born that? What does that mean? How do, so can you become a nephilim? Can you give yourself up? And I'm going, it sure looks like it. Like I said, I'm probably not going to preach a message on that, but I'm just saying from the scriptures, it looks like people could give themselves over to this, and there again, does that mean that your DNA changes? I, I, I believe they too. I, you know the Bible talks about if I say the Bible, if we go to the historical record of first Enoch he talks about that yes these men were beginning to give themselves they were making deals they were making covenants and contracts with these nephilim right and then like everything else the devil creates and it's bad they got a taste of blood in their mouth and they started eating men and i'm sa- i'm telling you yes i understand that the scripture has metaphoric language jesus used it in parables but there are some things that are not metaphoric when it talks about the giants of lebanon the cedar, the, the giant cedars of lebanon They're not talking about trees. They're talking about men that were 100 feet tall. (coughs) I think it's Ezekiel. (coughs) Excuse me. Either Ezekiel or Isaiah. I believe it's Ezekiel. That gives a description in cubics of one of these guys, and he's 350 feet tall. Well, I think it's metaphoric. I don't know. If you've seen some of these, yeah. If you've seen some of the skulls that they've been finding, digging up, I mean, when the skull is eight feet, yeah, dude, he had to be three hundred fifty feet tall, right? Well, I, I've never seen that. Were well, they there? Where are they? They're locked up in the Smithsonian. Smithsonian, so you and I can't get to them. Yeah, yeah. All of the all of the things that they've talked about how the pyramids were built, like well, they use this, they use that, they use this leverage fulcrum, da 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 da. da. And then you bring in the nephilims, and it's like, okay. I forget, one of those pyramids had um, 30, 33 million tons of rock or something like that. And they were like, if they moved it, what well, you're saying it would have taken them, you know, 754 years to, you know. And there again, where did it come from? Where were they, where are these vast holes that they were cutting these rocks out of, right? What's really interesting is now science is catching up and they're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. They found a brimstone in Sodom and Gomorrah area and they started looking at it and they were like, number one, it's sulfur is one of the main components. Well what did God say it would be? Sulfur. There's some other components and they're like, we don't even know where this comes. We don't have any of this on the earth. And then the other thing was the temperature. Like they they can assess, I guess, somehow that the temperature of this was there again, seven, eight thousand degrees like nothing on earth that we know. Well, it's because God said, <laughs> I mean <laughs> God said it, it happened, there you go. Right? So, anybody else? Anybody questions? Yes, ma'am. Are you asking, like, is that good or bad? I believe yes. Well, let me say this. In your food packaging, the the true ingredients are not always told to you. There's a lot of loopholes. Like, you pick up something that says organic, it only has to meet two or three criteria to be called organic, okay? Just like when they did with the eggs, free range. Uh, cage free, all this kind of stuff. Well, what does that mean? Right? So it's interesting. Um, I'll give you a little bit of something if you want to study on it. Um, how many are familiar with the four horse of the apocalypse? White horse, red horse, black horse, green horse. I saw this the other day and I went, wow, I got to study this. The nations around Israel, what color are their flags? Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Turkey, all of them, black, white, red, and green. Where do you think some of these horsemen are going to come from? The guy was asking, could this possibly be information? He wasn't saying it was. He was saying, it's interesting that these four horsemen, that God would use color. Remember, your God's symbolic. He loves numbers. He loves colors. All these things to show you something. And remember, they weren't weren't named what they are now, but we know Gog, Magog, Iran, and Russia. We know that, right? But we start looking at these things going, whoa, wait a minute. We're going to be talking very soon, when I say very soon, probably towards the end of February, May 1st of March. Does anybody know what's coming April the 8th? Total solar eclipse. Do you know that your emergency management um, people are planning worst-case scenarios right now? They're expecting three times our population to be in that corridor. I won't be able to go to yep, they were saying Motel Six is booked out a thousand bucks a night. They making some jack. <laughs> yes. So Shane, Shane, um, our security guy, went through one of these back in Washington. And he brought up a very, we were talking today about this, and we will probably use this as a ministry outreach. Uh, We are going to purchase, like now, a pallet of water and some different things. But he said the main interstates in Oregon and Washington were froze for six hours. Froze meaning nobody moved. Guess what we have right out here in front of us? People going, oh my gosh, are you seeing this? Yeah, you need a bottle of water? Let me tell you what's happening. Jesus is coming back, right? <laughs> I mean, he was talking about people getting out of their cars when they weren't moving for an hour. Put in part, shut it off, get out, put a blanket out, just sit there. What else are you going to do, right? Well, total darkness meaning not like, like absolute darkness like you can't see, like total darkness like the sun's going to be blotted out. Do you understand, too, that in... Um, Hebraic understanding, lunar um, events usually point to warnings or signs to Israel. Solar usually points to the world, a warning to the world, okay? And so now we've got the convergence of light like two coming. Uh, there was a total solar eclipse when Jonah preached to Nineveh. Do you, you imagine why these people, are Jonah finally gets out and he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And behind him this total solar eclipse is happening and they're going, This man speaks with authority, right? What did Jesus say? Oh, you want a sign, you perverse generation? I'll give you one. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. We thought that it meant him in the belly of the well. No, it was a total eclipse. Your God loves you, and he's going to warn you if you have eyes to see, if you have ears to understand. Um, They're saying that the electrical should be fine. I don't know because here's the thing. When you start talking about this kind of an event, I, let me tell you what I believe. here's what I I haven't I haven't really fully gone all the way through this, but y'all really gonna think y'all's pastors weird. I know. Weirder. Weirder. <laughs> when did you say this one? April eighth. Um so the emergency management, I got their slideshow that they're taking around to all their people. Uh, and showing them. Now they're talking about a lot of witches convening, not, not your county. Other people talking about a lot of witch covenants are getting together. Like this is going to be a great time for them. Um, if you don't know anything about Freemasonry, I would encourage you to look into that a little bit. And there's a reason why we have a road in Fort Smith called Albert Pike. There's a reason we have a um, schoolhouse that sits on the Crawford County Courthouse uh, uh, property. It was Albert Pike. This guy was not a good man. Um, anyway, I believe that this is um, will open an even bigger portal for demonic activity. But I'm excited because I know that when the enemy comes in, like a flood, God will raise up a standard. So it coincides with the word that we had the other day about January, February, March. Get yourself ready because in the spring is when growth happens. This is when new things come to life, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's interesting. Yep. Yep. I mean, so it's, if you're ready to do it, let's hook it up. So Anybody else, real quick, we'll pray. We'll get out of here. I'm only five minutes over.